Today on Government Matters, the Department of Labor is identifying new challenges with unemployment insurance systems. We talk about a plan to modernize all 53 different state systems and how the department is using the $2 billion provided to fix some big issues. The risks from floods are the highest for any type of natural disaster, and those risks are rising. As climate change increases, natural disasters occur more often. We speak with the Government Accountability Office about how FEMA can better protect high-risk flood zones in the U.S. And how much does the American public trust the government? According to a new report, not very much. Public mistrust in government is at an all-time high. We ask how agencies and federal leaders can earn back that trust. Government Matters starts right now. From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Mimi Gerges. This is the weekend edition of Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news trends and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm Mimi Gerges. The Department of Labor has efforts underway to identify problems with the unemployment insurance systems and determine how to fix those issues. $2 billion have been allocated from the American Rescue Plan Act. Michelle Evermore is Deputy Director of Policy in the Office of Unemployment Insurance Modernization at the Department of Labor. Michelle, welcome. Good morning. There was, as I mentioned, $2 billion allocated to the Department of Labor by the American Rescue Plan Act. What was that for? So there are three goals for this money. Uh, first is to promote timeliness. The second is to promote equity. And the third is to fight fraud. Um, and all three pillars of those are co-equal. We need to make sure that we're addressing all three of these pressing problems for uh, claimants and for state workforce agencies. So why are there 53 different systems that administer unemployment insurance benefits? So in 1935, when the Social Security Act was written, the decision was made that each state should get to decide how to structure their own unemployment insurance system. So we've got 50 states, the District of Columbia and two territories, uh, the Virgin Islands and Puerto Rico, that um, all have their own unique systems with all of their own unique qualifications and benefit levels. So will the funding be distributed to the states themselves for modernizing their own systems, or will your department be spearheading that initiative? So some funding will be distributed to states. We've got two grant formula. We've essentially got three grant formulas um, that will distribute money to states. The first is um, we, we've distributed, uh, we've, we've had an application process for fraud grants. Um, we've developed a process for equity grants. The closing of the application process for equity grants doesn't end until December 31st. Um, the equity grants are a brand new thing for the department where states actually will develop their own plan for how they how they uh, will will identify equity issues, how they, how they will measure success and how they will spend the funds. So we're still working with states on developing a plan there. And the third will be um, grants to uh, integrate the assistance that we've um, we've provided. So, one of the streams of work is that we've um, we've launched this effort to uh, send tiger teams to states, and these tiger teams will make recommendations within eight to twelve weeks. And those recommendations then uh, states will have to implement. But we're providing them two hundred million dollars in funding to integrate those uh, recommendations. Michelle, explain a little bit more about the Tiger teams. Uh, what are they made up of? What are they meant to do? Who's on them? Great, yeah, so the idea is 
states right now, that we need long-term and short-term solutions. Tiger teams are very much the short-term quick win solutions that we can identify in states. And so uh, we've sent Tiger teams to six states already. We're on the second uh, batch of six states. So um, what the Tiger teams will do is uh, review state systems and find process improvements that can be implemented quickly um, to improve timeliness, equity, and fight fraud. And on those teams, we'll have, of course, process experts who understand queue management and how to push people through a process. We'll have people who understand equity, fraud experts, subject matter experts in unemployment insurance, and also technology experts who can figure out how best to implement some of the suggestions that we're making. There's uh, $140 million that will go toward fraud prevention measures. How big of a problem has that been? You know, I, I, I hate to say this, but fraud has been almost an existential threat to unemployment insurance in the past year. Uh, somewhere around May, international fraud rings uh, managed to uh, dig their way into uh, pandemic, particularly pandemic unemployment benefits. And um, and they show no, you know, they, they, they are still persistent in attacking state unemployment insurance systems. So states need the best possible tools to deal with them. This is a relatively, I mean, well in the past, there have been uh, massive, uh, you know, uh, attacks on, 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 well, not massive, no. Historically, there have been attacks on unemployment insurance systems uh, by fraud rings, but nowhere near the scale that we've seen uh, in the pandemic. And uh, their tactics just keep evolving. And so we need a central solution. This is one of the things we've heard most from states is that they really need coordinated help in dealing with the fraud rings. Um, you know, it's still early, but what have you been able to accomplish so far? And what have been the biggest challenges you're facing? Um, so I think the biggest challenge is the, the state of unemployment insurance in general. Uh, you know, trying to solve a problem in 53 different states uh, with one central solution is never going to be easy. It's going to take years and years. Um, but uh, we've really gotten a solid start. I think the Tiger teams have uh, already issued uh, many, uh, you know, have, have already come up with many good ideas that states are already starting to implement. Um, I think the conversation around equity has evolved dramatically. Um, I think people now are looking, uh, states are really being creative in thinking about how to make sure that everybody has access to their systems. Um, I'm so encouraged by what I'm hearing from states. So all of that is very exciting. And what about timeline, Michelle? What are we looking at for, for this to all be rolled out and for it to be done? Um, so the ARPA funds don't have an end date. And um, <clears throat> This is not a problem that evolved overnight. So this is not a pro this won't be a problem that'll be solved overnight. Um, we're looking at years to fix all these problems. Uh, you know, one stream of work, the long-term stream of work, is to develop central modular central modular solutions for uh, unemployment insurance, and really building the tech centrally uh, for states to modernize their systems. Obviously, um, you know individual state modernization efforts take years. Federal modernization efforts are going to take many years and it's going to be difficult, but hopefully at the end of it, we'll have a system that users uh, are happy with, that frontline staff at, at state workforce agencies are happy with, and that uh, get people through the system efficiently and uh, you know without error. All right, let's hope. Thank you so much, Michelle, for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you. 
If you miss an episode of Government Matters, it's on our website, govmatters.tv. And listen to our Government Matters podcast. It's available on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. You can also find every episode on our website. FEMA has a national flood insurance program that requires certain homeowners and businesses in high-risk zones to purchase insurance for flooding. As the amount of flooding continues to increase, the areas for those maps should incorporate climate change to fully capture flood risks. That's according to Alicia Puente-Cackley. She is Director of Financial Markets and Community Investment at the Government Accountability Office. Alicia, welcome to the program. Thank you. All right, so what's the current problem with this program? Why is it on your high-risk list? So the National Flood Insurance Program is on the high-risk list because it is really not sustainable in its current form. The program is, it's an insurance program for, uh, for properties that have been um, designated as being inside a special flood hazard area but the premiums that are charged for the for those um, insurance policies do not reflect the full risk of the pro of the um, possibility of flooding and so um, sometimes the uh, FEMA has to pay out more in claims than they've taken in in premiums and that's just not sustainable um, uh, over the long term and especially because when I say FEMA has to pay it out I really mean the taxpayer has to pay it. So what is FEMA doing currently to improve the flood insurance program? So FEMA has just very recently changed their, um, poli their um, the way that they um, calculate their premiums. So the, the, the rate setting pr program that they have is now going to reflect risk more than it did in the past. Unfortunately, that also will have implications for affordability for some people's um, for some properties that are very high risk. Uh, what um, also needs to happen is, is for, the, um, for that to be addressed as well. So uh, let's talk about your recommendations sure. that are in the report. Should, should the whole program be scrapped and redone? So we have done a lot of work on, on this program over the years and um, we have encouraged both the agency and Congress as a whole to really consider comprehensive reform of the program. Um, that has a lot of, of pieces to it. It has to do with changing the way that, that um, uh, premiums are, are calculated, the, the risk rating of the program, but it also has to do with things like um, getting better participation in the program, and we have a, a recent report where we made some recommendations both to Congress and the agency for ways to do that. Um, and there also needs to be a way to address the debt that the program is in right now because the program is, is $20.5 billion in debt at the moment and that needs to be addressed. Um, and we have a few other things that, that we also recommended as part of that comprehensive reform. So you say Congress shouldn't be involved. How, how, show, how so? What do you want Congress to so do? So Congress created the program to begin with, and Congress has set some of the ways that the program um, is, is set up. And in particular, this uh, requirement that, that uh, uh, homeowners who have federally insured, federally backed mortgages and who are in special flood hazard areas need to have insurance. But the way that, that the special flood hazard area where is calculated, which is something that FEMA, FEMA's maps relate to, that is, um, it, it hasn't been changed in uh, decades and it doesn't really reflect well the way 
the, um, both risks that are that are current, and it doesn't reflect. Uh, it doesn't give people a good idea of what their um, true risk of flooding is. So those maps definitely need to be updated. Is FEMA open to these recommendations? What of their reaction? FEMA yeah. has, has, is definitely open to uh, a lot of the recommendations that we've made. They haven't always been able to move as quickly as, as um, we, would, we would expect or would like, but they, are, uh, they, they have limitations. They have limitations of capacity. They have um, limitations uh, in terms of what, they are, what they're actually responsible for and, and what is um, uh, it, what they're not, and so uh, there's a certain amount of of, uh, ref of the reform that needs to happen through um, congressional action as well. And what about other agencies? Um, are there other agencies that would be involved in improving this program? So the other agencies, the, the banking regulators are um, some agencies that have information that would be helpful to FEMA, in, especially around the area of um, encouraging participation in the program or ensuring participation in the program for those those properties that are at high risk and that are in, are federally insured. So the banking regulators um, are supposed to be paying attention to to the compliance of those um, homeowners, making sure that they actually have flood insurance. And uh, FEMA has a little bit of some information that would be helpful there, but the banking regulators as well could um, could be sharing information with FEMA, and we have some recommendations about uh, making sure that that happens too. And what about the the risk maps that we talked about earlier? It, is has there been any progress on updating those maps? FEMA is definitely works on updating the maps on a on a regular basis. They're as as they're required to. They also do a lot of work uh, outside of those regulatory maps that that are are um, s sort of specified in law as to how those are supposed to be done. They have a lot of other information that doesn't get incorporated into the maps right away, or at least not now. Um, and we have some recommendations to to FEMA about. Um, about ways to, to um, bring more information, especially more information about climate change, about um, different hazards that, that, uh, that were not incorporated originally. All right, well, Alicia, thank you so much for coming in. Nice to talk to you. You're very welcome, thank you. Coming next, how much does the American public trust the government? Straight ahead on Government Matters, why public mistrust in government has spiked and how to earn back that trust. We'll be right back. According to the Pew Research Center, public trust in government is near historic lows, with only about a quarter of Americans saying they can trust the government to do the right thing at least most of the time. The Partnership for Public Service has put out a report with recommendations on how agencies can improve the taxpayer experience. Max Steyer is president and CEO of the Partnership for Public Service. Max, nice to see you again. Very nice to see you. Thanks so much for having me. So what has caused these historic lows in public trust of the government? So I think, to be fair, all major institutions really have seen drops in, in trust. Uh, I think for the government, the biggest issue is that it really ultimately hasn't kept up with the expectations of the public. Uh, private sector organizations are very customer focused, and they've learned lots of techniques to really make the experience um, with their services better. and most elements of the government really just have not um, made the same investments or kept up with those techniques. So 
I think that is really the one of the biggest drivers of that that drop in trust. Do you think the pandemic had any impact on that? I think that the pandemic absolutely had an impact. You know, in one um, core way, so much of government service is more vital in the pandemic. A great example is, you know, telemedicine at the VA, uh, which is again a giant opportunity to better serve VA customers. But it also then requires different investments on the VA's part. For example, something like 40% of uh, veterans who are in rural areas don't have the level of internet access necessary to use telemedicine. So just as an example, there are new requirements in the context of the pandemic that, that the federal government needs to meet. And Max, how does the partnership track trust in government and customer experience? Well, I should say we have a phenomenal partner in Accenture Federal Services. and. Uh, you cited the Pew numbers. Um, we do uh, uh, our own work internally to understand, collect numbers from government uh, entities. So that's also a real plus. Many, many more agencies are actually uh, collecting customer experience data and making that public. And um, we've really been involved in trying to identify best practice and create a community around that. Uh, but then there are you know, assets like uh, Pew and other organizations that do surveys too. I want to ask you about equity. So this is the idea that Americans, all Americans are treated equally and have equal access to government services. What did you find about that? Well, I think it's, uh, so, thanks so much for, for, for asking that question. And I think the Biden administration deserves kudos for really on day one, focusing on equity issues, uh, you know, with their racial equity executive order and, and their focus since. And the, the real issue here is, are Americans being treated fairly, are all Americans actually having the access to the services that uh, they need and deserve? I mentioned the VA and the rural health access as an example to that. Um, you know, the IRS is working on trying to create more self-service options that requires better ability to be able to, um, you know, have trustworthy uh, identification verification, uh, individual identification verification. And not all people have access to the documents that they actually need to do that. So the issue here is really making sure that the government is serving everybody fairly. And that focus is something that I think is really important to build trust and also to build a government that is serving um, the American people better. You say in your report that agency leaders should address root causes of inequity. How? Well, I think it begins with understanding that it's a big issue. And I mentioned earlier collecting data, not all Americans are actually getting equal access to the services of their government. And there are particularly, you know, uh, communities of color and um, social economically, um, you know, uh, communities that have in fact historically been receiving not just less access, but oftentimes, um, you know, they've been, uh, you know, more even deliberately uh, pushed out of receiving services that all Americans should be able to receive. So it begins, number one, with identifying this as a priority. Uh, secondly, there is real expertise around this and making sure that you have the talent internally uh, to be able to make the changes necessary. Third is identifying bright spots. There are many challenges in government and there are many great things that are going on and you need to build on those great bright spots in order to solve some of these challenges. And you use data uh, and accountability uh, of leaders to, to drive this change. I wonder if you think that agencies really have the resources they need to make this a priority and to make a difference. 
They they clearly need more. And I mentioned earlier just the, the need for expertise. This is an area that has not seen much attention or investment. And therefore, um, there are resources in the private sector that would be um, helpful to have access to. We've actually started a, a program to try to um, identify uh, uh, equity experts who can come into the government for a short, short term service, uh, it's a couple of year service uh, and, and do that very easily. Um, but it's also a question again, as I said earlier about having good data uh, and by and making sure that this is built into existing process, not an add on, but something that is part and parcel of the expectations of what good performance looks like for government. And Max, just 30 seconds, you know, you mentioned a few before, but success stories where agencies have improved customer experience. Well, I have to start with the VA and uh, in, in particular, one of my former board members, Bob McDonald, uh, who was Procter & Gamble CEO and then the VA secretary. He's really moved the VA dramatically since 2016. I think they've seen a 24% jump in the positive ratings from veterans and the services that they receive. Um, but there are a lot of other uh, agencies that are really doing great work focusing on this. Federal Student Aid is a place, again, where they've had long-term focus. We're seeing you know, real um, you know, attention and improvement, and I think it matters. It will matter to the American public and to building back that trust, which is essential to our government and our democracy. All right. Well, Max, thanks, as always, for being on the program. Thank you so much. If you miss an episode of Government Matters, it's on our website, govmatters.tv. And tell us what you thought about today's program. You can reach us on Twitter at GovMattersTV. Follow us and get the latest update, reminders, and links to our interviews. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 10.30 on WJLA 24-7 News and Sunday mornings at 10.30 on 7 News to stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Mimi Gerges.